Should the West be nervous about Turkey's close ties with Russia? The two countries are shoring up their cooperation as Moscow faces isolation and sanctions. So as it rages war in Ukraine, how will Russia benefit from the partnership? I'm Kim Vanell, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests. Maximilian Hess is a fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute and an expert in Eurasian affairs. He joins us from London. Ludmila Samarskaya is a specialist in the contemporary history of the Middle East and a research fellow at the Institute of World Economy and International Relations. She joins us from Moscow. Sinan Ulgan is a former Turkish diplomat and director of IDAM, a think tank that focuses on Turkey's foreign, security, economic and digital policy. And he joins us from Istanbul. Thank you very much, uh, all of you, for joining us here on Inside Story. I'd like to begin with you, Ludmila Samarskaya. How have Russia and Turkey gotten to this point of cooperation, this point of closeness? Well, this all began... Uh approximately from 2000. So, and they've been forging something like a strategic, pragmatic partnership. Um, and it was partially based, and it is, it is still partially based, on their somewhat anti-Western stance. While in the beginning of 2000s, both Russia and Turkey, they were like expecting more cooperation from Europe, from the, Euro the European and the Western partners. But eventually, they did not get what they wanted. Turkey did not get uh, its right for EU membership. And Russia did not get the level of political cooperation it um, expected. Um, and so that was one of the bases for the rapprochement. Um, besides, they have um, a mixture of overlapping and coinciding interests in the Black Sea region and the Eastern Mediterranean region and in the Middle East itself, which allows for um, the cooperation and at the same time maintaining dialogue on the issues in which they might conf be confronted. Like, for example, in 2015, there was a crisis in their relations when a Russian jet was downed by Turkey. Uh, but afterwards, their relations they were repaired to a certain extent. And to date, uh, the economic relations remain very high and very intensive. Uh, they are both one included in what, top 10 partners uh, concerning trade, foreign trade. And they are cooperating in France of the Astana Forum. And they met recently in the France of this forum in Tehran last month. So they are pursuing this cooperation despite the differences and the difficulties that they face at the moment. OK, we'll be talking a little bit uh, later on in the show about the economic ties and how important they are to both parties. I'd like to come to you, uh, Maximilian Hess, in uh, London. How has the previous relationship between Turkey and Russia been up until now? Because they haven't always seen eye to eye, have they? No, uh, of course, as I was, was just being discussed seven years ago, the Turkish and Russian relations were at a nadir uh, as they essentially supported opposite sides in the conflict in Syria. And then we had that incident with the Turkish plane shooting down a Russian jet for straying over its airspace. They called in NATO support, uh, but didn't get NATO to respond to quite the level that they wanted to. Turkish-Russian relations were really 
changed quite markedly, however, the next year when the Erdogan government all but accused the United States of being behind in an attempted coup. That was what then led it to make this very large S-400 deal, also to agree a deal with Russian uh, nuclear power and to build further supplies uh, to bring Russian gas. And this undermined, uh, from Europe's point of view, the Southern Corridor strategy, which was to have Turkey be a route to supply gas from Azerbaijan and ideally further afield as well as an alternate uh, to Russia. Now we've seen the Turkish economy in crisis for the last uh, year plus and inflation numbers that make those in the West uh, pale in comparison. Um, but there seems to be uh, no change in approach as Turkey has carved itself out a rather strategically important region uh, role in the region, in Ukraine in particular, of course, but also over the co conflict in Karabakh between Armenia and Azerbaijan and in Syria. Um, the West seems to largely be building its hopes on the idea that, that Erdogan will uh, lose the election next year. So it continues to approach it with carrots. And so far, we've seen that drive uh, Erdogan more into Russia's arms. I think he has clear red lines on that. He's opportunistic. He's still, as you mentioned, selling drones to Ukraine. I'm having discussions to broker these grain shipments out. Um, but so far, it seems the West's approach is, is one of uh, coming with uh, sticks, although Turkey is a NATO ally, whereas Russia's approach is one of carrots. It needs somewhere to get its sanctioned money out. Turkey needs hard currency. So it seems to be an alliance of very uh, mutual convenience at the moment. Mm. Sinan Ulgan in uh, Istanbul. I want to get your take on Turkey's response to the war in Ukraine kind of generally, because as we've said, it's been uh, towing this line or, or, or managing this sort of balancing act. Yes, perhaps the best way to describe, to summarize uh, Turkey's position is to state that Turkey is being pro-Ukraine without being anti-Russia. Obviously, this is a very difficult balancing act, uh, but the way that Turkey has so far, uh, I think, successfully uh, steered its policy in this direction uh, was by, uh, and this was uh, already alluded to, uh, Turkey has continued to supply armed drones to Ukraine, which have been quite instrumental on the battlefield. Politically, Turkey has been critical uh, of Russian aggressiveness. Uh, Turkey has not recognized the annexation of Crimea. So on all those political grounds, uh, Turkey is on the same page as its NATO allies. It has also closed the uh, Turkey Straits uh, to the uh, passage of Russian warships. At the same time, uh, Turkey is the only NATO ally not to have imposed sanctions on Russia. The air corridor remains open. Uh, Erdogan is the only Western leader who has met with Putin uh, twice in a month. Uh, and there are new, new agreements that are being negotiated with Russia. So uh, this is the difficult balancing act. And uh, if you um, basically take a step back and try to assess what this has led to, uh, I think this has enabled Turkey to play uh, a particularly instrumental role. Uh, firstly, in the first phase of the conflict, uh, where Turkey was a facilitator for the diplomatic negotiations. The two foreign ministers, Ukrainian and Russian foreign ministers, have met for the first time in Turkey after the onset of the war. Then the de diplomatic delegations have also met in Turkey. Of course, now the dynamics of war have, have superseded the dynamics of diplomacy. But nonetheless, Turkey also took an active role and, and succeeded in getting uh, the grain deal. Mm. Uh, and this is, uh, I think, important to underline. 
because at a time when there's a, for understandable reason, a very vast uh, erosion of trust between Russia and Ukraine, uh, these countries have actually negotiated with Turkey. So the agreement that enabled the grain deal were a, a set of bilateral agreements, uh, Russia and Turkey and Ukraine and Turkey backed by the UN. So Russia and Ukraine between themselves uh, have not uh, concluded an agreement. Mm. And this in a way demonstrates the validity of Turkey's careful balancing act towards Russia. Um, Sinan Ulgan, before we move on from you, I want to ask you one more question. President Erdogan last year, and correct me if I'm wrong, said Turkey was considering buying more joint, well, sorry, just considering more joint defence industry steps with Russia, including for fighter jets and for submarines. Do you see that going ahead? No, I don't. Uh, and I think uh, the news that Turkey opted to get a second batch of S-400 was essentially Russian disinformation. It is true that uh, there is an agreement in place uh, where Turkey got the first batch of the S-400 with an option to buy the second batch. But that option was never triggered. And I don't see that being triggered under current circumstances where uh, the, uh, the, the relationship between Russia and NATO has become uh, so uh, ambiguous and acrimonial because of Ukraine. And also at a time when Turkey is seeking to get US support, both White House and Congress, uh, in order to modernize its air fleet uh, and get new F-16s. So mm -hmm. I don't see that happening in the near, in, in, for the foreseeable future. Okay, I want to take that back to Lyudmila uh, Samarskaya. So it was a Russian state news agency that reported that the two sides had agreed on that second batch of S-400 air defense systems. Even if this is just a talking about an option to buy the second batch, um, how is that likely to go down with NATO, given the war in Ukraine? Uh, well, that's probably um, won't be greeted by NATO countries. However, uh, Turkey also has some issues with uh, purchasing systems from the U.S. because the U.S. Um, due to um, the issues with Greece, which says uh, that Turkey can put a, pose a danger to Greece and to the Greece control over some of some of the islands, there was an issue where the condition to not use uh, the US provided uh, systems against Greece and Turkey refused. So probably this agreement to purchase a second part of this as uh, 400 systems, whether it was or whether it was not, it can in any way be used as kind of a leverage probably over some of its NATO allies, especially the US, demonstrating that Turkey has options. It It's not... Um, uh, it doesn't have to buy the U.S. systems. It can offer to buy something else. So probably it's part of a bargaining act, whether it will be realized or not. OK. Maximilian Hess, let's talk about the economy. I believe Turkey has been working with the Kremlin on a parallel import scheme to bypass some Western sanctions. Um, should Turkey be worried about secondary sanctions or what is sort of Turkey's role in, you know, Russian goods? Sure. Uh, you know, we have seen Turkish uh, imports in the latest data go up. 
um, quite a bit to Russia, although that hasn't uh, applied to dual use uh, goods, which are the ones most directly impacted by sanctions. The real impact of sort of that trade basis is whether Russia is ultimately supplying Turkey with the dollars that because of sanctions it can't really use and which Turkey really needs, or whether they're trading rubles for lira, which are two very currently unstable currencies uh, and the lira experiencing some of the most significant inflation of any uh, economy in the world over the last year. Um, so the differences there really matter. If there's any dollar involvement, which is, of course, actually what Turkey would want more, uh, and Russia, uh, that would invoke the ire uh, and target of U.S. sanctions. But you know, to respond to some of the last points on that as well, I think it's important to understand that the fundamental issues in the U.S.-Turkish and the Western-Turkish relationship more broadly aren't issues that emanate out of uh, Turkey's relationship with Russia. They're stressors and aggregating fact aggravating factors, but uh, Erdogan is really seen as having undermined his country's uh, democratic project uh, in much of the West uh, and of ha having used migration and other tools to try to extract concessions and before. So that relationship is really broken. For example, India, which is not a NATO member, is also facing many of these questions, buys a lot of Russian uh, arms supplies, but also Western ones, um, has been buying uh, Russian oil there. We've seen the U.S. Congress say that it endorses a waiver on India's own purchase of S-400s. So, you know, if if the diplomatic relationship between Turkey, in particular the United States and the West, could be restored, I think you know the issue of that first S four hundred purchase could you know certainly ultimately be put aside. Um, but you know, it really uh, depends uh, what they do and how much they try to essentially extract the dollars out of that um, sanctions evasion in that basis. And if there's a lot of action there that Washington doesn't like, it, it will provoke a very significant risk of secondary sanctions. Sinan Ulgen, uh, President Erdogan is facing a very dire economic situation, um, talking about inflation. I mean, he's also facing an upcoming election. How much is that factoring into his decision making around increasing ties and economic cooperation potentially with Russia? Quite a bit, uh, because indeed uh, the, uh, the Turkish economy is having a difficult time, uh, not only from the perspective of macro instability, uh, rising inflation, uh, but also the depletion of foreign reserves which could down the road lead to a balance of payment crisis. So the government must at all costs avert this type of scenario because then you know, that would be uh, basically, uh, it will become impossible for Erdogan to win two elections uh, if Turkey uh, goes through a balance of payment crisis. And this is where Russia comes in. Uh, Turkey is looking uh, to get additional uh, foreign exchange it's reaching out to a number of regional countries, not just Russia, but also the Gulf region. Uh, but uh, in the case of Russia, uh, there certainly has been uh, some movement uh, with, for instance, uh, Rosatom, uh, that's the, uh, or the investor and the operator uh, of the first nuclear power plant uh, that will become operational in 2023 to be built on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, has decided to uh, to basically invest uh, in that project uh, by way of Turkish eurobonds, uh, and this is uh, something uh, that scaled up the reserves of the Turkish central bank. So there are some of these initiatives out there, uh, but certainly uh, this is very much related to uh, the economic situation, okay. uh, which the government needs to address. I just want to pause you there, uh, Sinan, and come over to Maximilian Hess, who just wanted to add something. Go ahead. 
Thank you. Um, you know, I, I think that's exactly uh, true. This balance of payments crisis and whether it comes before the election are the you know real questions that uh, Turkey faces. I think from the Western point of view, and particularly in the United States, for which you know the bailout might be the wrong term, but forms of economic support that could ultimately uh, alleviate Turkey's issues much quicker, swap lines. Uh, for example, for, for the Turkish Central Bank um, into U.S. dollars would not be that costly uh, for the West. The question is, is, are there concessions the West can give to Turkey on other issues in the Erdogan government that it particularly cares about for the price of making it take an actual anti-Russian posture? I think that would, and, and a basis, a conversation on that basis would uh, is kind of enable uh, Western support. But so far, Erdogan has been uh, shopping around the region, even repairing his relations uh, with Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia um, and, and to get swap lines from, from all over and now this Russian investment as well. Um, so I think the conversation needs to be more on can the West do that as well. Ludmila Samarskaya, we've talked a lot about how much Turkey needs Russia uh, due to its uh, struggling economy. How much does Russia need Turkey given its, I guess, Western isolation? Um, I think that at the moment Turkey has become even more important partner for Russia than before, because um, it also is a kind of a bridge that still connects Russia to the Western world somehow, to a certain extent. And uh, it's important for Russian economy. Um, it's, of course, not such a great trading partner as China, for example, but it is one of the biggest ones still. And it's also one of the ways to be not hit by sanctions further and to improve cooperation, bilateral relations, and to solve some of the security-related issues and to maintain dialogue uh, considering the Middle East and Russians, uh, Russia's involvement in Syria, for example. So it is very important. Uh, it's also important for as being a hub, something like a hub for uh, the Russians traveling somewhere, like traveling to Europe, as it was said, uh, its airspace was not closed. So, yeah, that's a really important line. Uh, that's an important line for businesses, uh, for Russia and both for Russia and Turkey, and uh, considering uh, other issues as well. Mm. Sinan Ulgan, how much leverage does Turkey now hold, do you think, with the West? I mean, there was the issue of Sweden and Finland's admission to NATO, um, you know, uh, cooperation on counterterrorism, on, you know, the, the migrant crisis. How much leverage does Turkey hold and how do you think it might try to use that? Well, I mean, the Tur given Turkey's geographical position, uh, the fact that it is a NATO member, uh, it sees its future in the West, uh, despite having, you know, a number of uh, difficult uh, issues, both with the United States and with the EU, uh, gives Turkey leverage. Uh, because Turkey is very close to, uh, and this is perhaps unfortunate for Turkey, but it's you know it's it's at the almost at the epicenter of uh, a number of different crises: uh, Syria, uh, Iran, uh, fight against radicalization, uh, refugee issue, and so on. So uh, relations with Russia. Uh, therefore, this is the geopolitical context where uh, Turkey's uh, strategic importance uh, has been heightened. If we had lived in a different world uh, post-89, where you know democracy would have flourished everywhere, where you know history would have ended, 
perhaps Turkey's geostrategic importance would not have would not have been as high. Uh, but today, you know, we live obviously uh, in a in a much more difficult world, and we've seen this, witnessed this uh, after the 24th of February. Uh, with the war in Ukraine. So in this context, uh, Turkey uh, remains an important uh, NATO ally, despite its difficulties with its Western partners. Uh, and we've seen this also very clearly uh, with the uh, accession bid of uh, Sweden and Finland to NATO, uh, where uh, Turkey uh, for a while blocked the start of that procedure. Uh, and eventually uh, an MOU, a tripartite MOU was signed between Turkey, Sweden uh, and Finland to address Turkey's concerns regarding the fight against uh, terrorism, particular PKK terrorism in those countries. Okay. So Turkey is indeed able to leverage its, uh, its international position and its geostrategic importance in its relations with the West. Okay, we're coming to the nearing the end of the program. I'd like to come back to you, uh, Maximilian Hiss, because something we haven't talked about here, which of course is a factor, is the fact that these two leaders, these two presidents, are, are big personalities. They're strong men. They want to at least project um, the, the image of, of being powerful personas. How has that factored in here when we look at their relationship and how it's changing? You know, uh, I, I think that at least certainly to some Western audience, those uh, terms are, you know, synonymous uh, with strong men and uh, not necessarily democratic. And I think that is really the perception uh, and, and in, in many ways, the reality of the Turkish regime uh, under Erdogan, at least this, this is very strongly how uh, the West feels. They uh, don't <clears throat> agree with his views that they were behind uh, the the. Um, coup attempt, um, but that's really poisoned relations ever since. And then the jailing of a lot of deputies from uh, Turkey's opposition parties, uh, uh, in particular one um, Kurdish party as well, HDP, uh, uh, has really driven issues in relations as well as Turkey's increased role in the conflict in Libya, Syria, um, and elsewhere. So the West really seems to no longer believe that Erdogan is, is a Democrat. There's this famous refrain uh, that he once made that, you know, democracy is a train um, and you get off at the right point. And this is cited in almost essentially every major Western publication when they uh, write about him. But at the same time, the approach to what to do about Turkey seems to be, well, we're looking at the polls and he's going to lose the next election. Uh, but if one doesn't believe that Erdogan is, is a Democrat, then the question is, is will he let himself uh, lose the next election? And so far, I'm not sure uh, what and policymakers have a good answer for that. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you, Spasiba, to Shekile Ederim, to all of our guests, uh, Maximilian Hess, Ludmila Samarskaya, and Sinan Ulgan. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohamed Alaichi, Abdurrahman Warsami, Sarah Iram Gill, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Yasser Rahmani. The program was edited by Anbar Ban Sarkar, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Thursday.